disruption zone. Opportunity lives where the status quo dies. Talking to the greatest innovators, disruptors, and off-the-wall inventors, we can scrounge up. You laugh, you'll learn, you'll be inspired. Now, here are your hosts, Leland Conway and Cameron Mills. So the Biden administration is seeking to buy another 200 million doses of the two coronavirus vaccines that have been authorized for use here in America. Um, they are going to increase available supply, according to this article here, uh, by 50 percent to a total of 600 million doses by the summer. You do the math. That's enough for two doses for 300 million people. We have about 330 million people. That should bring about herd immunity. The question is, can the Biden administration pull it off? I, I think when you hand Democrats a project that is large in scale and scope and is super important, they're going to screw it up in about five minutes. And I think that's what we're seeing happening right now. The way that we have handled the coronavirus from the get-go has been awful. Uh, that Some of that blame lies at the foot of President Trump, but more of it than anything lies at the foot of Democratic operatives, Democratic governors, Democrat-run media establishments that used the coronavirus to destroy a rampantly awesome economy that was helping everyone because that's the only way they could win the election in the fall. And I firmly believe the election wasn't stolen per se, but it was damn sure manipulated. Uh, and it was manipulated using the coronavirus. There are ways that we could literally open everything back up today while still making sure that the sick are quarantined and that we don't keep this thing spreading that could actually probably stop it from spreading as fast as it is while opening everything today. So we're going to talk to a healthcare expert, Paul Siegert. Um, he is with PCS Advisors. They're a company that uh, does the distribution of employee healthcare benefit plans, and he's hyper focused on supply lines and supply chains when it comes to healthcare and health services. And so he's a great expert to kind of dive into whether or not the Biden administration can even pull this off. We'll talk about the vaccine and some other things in the conversation as well. So hang on and check this out coming up right now. Though I want to tell you about my friends at Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. Go to LouisvilleCabinetsAndCountertops.com and let's just do a scroll through their uh, webpage for some cool stuff. When you go to the page, click on Cabinets there at the top bar just to the right of Home. And I want you to look at ready-to-assemble cabinets, RTA cabinets. These are if you're like a do-it-yourselfer or a contractor and you just want to, you know what you want and you want it. And you got a budget and you want to match that budget. Now scroll down and look at the choices that you have of stuff that's ready to go. It's unbelievable. There's one on here that is my absolute favorite. It's called the Carver. And guys, it is so unbelievably beautiful. It is this dark espresso cabinetry. Oh, it's I love it. It's beautiful. It's it's what we have in our new home in Colorado, and it is gorgeous. Um, and it's the ready-to-assemble cabinets. So pretty awesome. And that, that's just if, you know, you you know what you want. Now, if you're like me and you have no ability to hang cabinets, <laughs> then, then I want you to call them or stop by the showroom at 6200 Hit Lane and talk to George, Michelle, or Kelly because their designers are amazing for people like you and me. 
they'll help walk you through setting up your style. So that's at 502-930-3304. Big appreciation to Louisville Cabinets and Countertops for helping us uh, do this podcast. All right, let's jump into our conversation right now with Paul Siegert, who lives in California, but apparently just bought a farm in Kentucky. Sacramento, huh? Yeah, a little north of there, a little town of Chico. I'm actually, I saw you got a Louisville connection. Yeah, my wife's family has a farm in Kentucky, and we're just about to close on a second house out in Nashville area, so we're going to split our time. But Oh, nice. Yeah, Nashville's a very nice area. Um, what part of Kentucky is there farming? Southern Kentucky, just I guess southwestern. Just We would fly into Nashville, and we'd drive seven miles over the Kentucky border, and then okay. their farm would be like right around there. Franklin or? Uh... It's near Gamale. I'm trying to think of some towns that are big enough people would know them. Fountain <laughs> Run is the town next to it, but it's very small. Okay. That's uh, a nice area. That's It's a very nice beautiful, area. Yeah. Beautiful spot. Yeah. I'm originally from central Kentucky. Um, or in Kentucky, if you're a Kentuckian, we tell you the county. So I'm from Jesmond County, and my wife's from Marion County. We're both in central Kentucky. So Okay. Uh, but once a Kentuckian, always a Kentuckian. And uh, we live in Colorado now, but Kentucky is home. And most of the people that listen to this podcast are in the great state of Kentucky. So you'll be talking okay. to your new neighbors. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> so, <laughs> that sounds good. Well, cool. I, uh, you're in the healthcare industry, which is a crazy industry to be in right now. Um, you're in Northern California, which is a crazy area of the country to be in right now. I can't imagine the regulations you guys face. Um, <laughs> that's a fact. Yeah. But I've been, I've, we've been watching this vaccination process and the new president says that he wants to have 600 million doses by the summer, which that would effectively vaccinate 300 million people. At that point, we ought to be able to go back to normal. That's basically beyond herd immunity numbers. But is it possible, right. Paul? it i think it's it's very unlikely you know the practicality of that is is tough to imagine we are up to more than a million a day that we're doing and it's more of a top-down approach now or a centralized approach versus the decentralized approach we had before or at least that's the goal but we're actually at more than a million now with the decentralized approach right I think it was probably unrealistic to expect that there wouldn't be hiccups yeah. in this this big of a vaccination campaign, the biggest that we've ever done. Well, I think here's here's the thing that bugs me about how COVID has been handled from the very beginning. And you would probably feel this more than acutely than just about anybody listening right now because of living in California, where that the ways that they have shut down the state, I think they just reopened because Gavin Newsom's afraid to get recalled. But um, pretty much. Yeah. Um, but. There are tests out there that are we could make for I was listening to an MIT scientist talk about this the other day about a buck a piece that you could sell mm-hmm. in a CVS. Now, this test is 100 percent accurate if it tells you you have covid, meaning if it tells you you have covid, there's a 100 percent chance you have it. It's about 80 percent accurate in telling you that you don't have it. OK, right. not 100 percent accurate. But imagine if society-wide, we all had a few of those sitting around in our bathroom, we start to feel a little sniffy, we take it, and we basically convince 80% of the people who have it to stay home. Mass production of something like that early in this process would have probably saved thousands of lives, thousands of businesses, and so on and so forth. If we can't even get into gear to do something as simple as that and common sense as that, how the hell are we going to put in place 600 million doses of 300 million people by summer? It's not going to happen. 
it's not going to happen. I mean, there's so much that you just brought to the table right there that, that it, it's my blood's my blood pressure's just going up because I agree on a lot of those points. Not that we're not even talking about the fact that 25 plus percent of the population doesn't intend to get vaccinated. You can buy a million vaccines and you know yeah. a billion vaccines, and it doesn't matter if people won't take them. So there's an issue there that we have to overcome. You've got. 60% of the nurses in Ohio have declined to take it. 40% of healthcare professionals in LA, 50% in Riverside, 29% nationwide, according to the Kaiser Family Foundation, of frontline healthcare workers say they don't want the vaccine and, and not just don't want it, have declined to take it. Mm -hmm. So then uh, so that's an issue. Then you've got the whole supply chain and distribution that, that we're talking about accomplishing, which is, ma is such a massive undertaking. Yeah. The fact that we're over a million a day is pretty, pretty darn impressive. And there's so much politics involved in everything that you've talked about, too. I think in the way that we handled it from the beginning, it wasn't based on good common sense right. science. I mean, you've got like the governor of New York saying he's trying to go direct to buy vaccines from Pfizer when he's only put 60 percent of the vaccines he's received from the federal government in people's arms. Right. So it, he clearly doesn't have a supply problem. Mm -hmm. and, and so then that makes you kind of just makes me wonder objectively, why are you why are you talking about this when you really need to focus more on getting it in people's arms? Yeah. And you and you look at the various states too that in jurisdictional centers, there's the way vaccines are distributed historically is that you have uh, 64 jurisdictions, states, some big territories and some big metro areas right. that all would be responsible for their own area and the cdc would give guidance but hey we're a republic so it's things are decentralized for the most part or should be yeah. so then they would distribute vaccine and when you looked at the plans which i'm nerdy enough and just into what i do enough that i actually did you had some of these states and areas of the country but it's for the most part states that had plans that were hundreds of pages long of how this group's going to get prioritized over that group and then right. this subgroup of that group. And that did not look like it would be successful. And then you had other states where it was 12 pages long, boom, let's get it done. Right. And some of the states that are commonly looked at as not as advanced are way ahead. Right. You know, West Virginia is number two. Right. I realize it's a small population, but everybody in a nursing facility in West Virginia has already been right. vaccinated. Why well, can't we get it together in other areas? Well, but you know? to, to your point, you were talking about these plans that were pages and pages and pages long. When you have people that are advising the CDC who are suggesting that we shouldn't give the vaccine to elderly people first because they're mostly white. You know, when mm -hmm. you have that mm -hmm. coming into that, that kind of stupidity coming into the conversation, if the goal is to save lives then the goal should be to take society, figure out who's most vulnerable, frontline healthcare workers, elderly, bam, done. I don't care what their race is. Don't care what their socioeconomic status is. Don't care. Vaccinate right. the ones that are vulnerable. But when you have people that are advising the CDC, even bringing that up so that it's actually talked about, it slows down common sense reactions to, to, to what actually needs to be done. I totally agree. And I, Another point that you brought up a minute ago about uh, the tests and having some common sense approach to this that maybe would be more sensible than relying on on herd immunity through vaccination is the only way out of this. Right. Uh, there are examples around the world of places that have managed to control 
this and get through it a lot more practically, a lot more successfully than we have in many parts of our country right. and probably as our country as a whole. And they've done it by doing things like what you described. I've kept an eye on, uh, there's a town in German, Germany, Tübingen, Germany. I'm probably mispronouncing Easy it. Easy for you to say. T-U-B-I-N-G-E-N. But in that town, they have so much extra capacity in their hospital that they're shipping in people from other areas for their ICU beds that they don't need. And it wasn't because they've vaccinated everyone. This was true before vaccines were approved for emergency use. Right. They realized that, hey, 88% of the deaths are in people over the age of 70, and most of those are in nursing facilities. Mm. So what they did was, to me, it seems very common sense. Let's focus on the highest risk groups. How do we protect them? And how do we... Uh, do what we can to keep our economy open. They kept their economy open. And what they did was make testing available to your point. Anybody that wanted a test could go, could go get one at no cost down right. in their town square or whatever. Uh, masks were free. They provided taxis for the elderly. Hmm. They subsidized that expense mm-hmm. since that's the high risk groups. So that would keep them off of public transportation. Yeah, right. And then they set aside a couple hours a day, which we did early on in our approach to this for that group to shop without commingling with the rest of the population. Right. And they've, <clears throat> they've clamped it down very successfully while allowing businesses to stay open and, and, and that kind of thing. Right. And that's very common sense. And yet here, uh, we've got 300-page plans on how to prioritize various ethnic groups or various disadvantaged groups or various right. whatever, when we should just be lining people up and putting vaccine in the arms of whoever's ready to get it if yeah. we want to get to herd immunity as quickly as possible. Yeah, I, I agree. I And it's funny because you, you know, kind of thinking back through that discussion, what you had in that town in Germany is people who said, let's look at the common sense solution, and it wasn't political. Um it sounds kind of weird to bring up other podcasts and other shows, but I highly recommend Joe Rogan's podcast. And I actually was just listening to a doctor who was talking about the reaction to coronavirus. And this doesn't have anything to do with the vaccine plan, but I thought it was interesting. And I just looked the stats up for myself. So the country of India has um, about three to four times the population of the United States. They have had a grand total of 155,000 deaths from covid um, we're approaching, what is it? 500,000 now. Right. Um, they're saying we're going to have a million before it's over. What's the difference? And so this doctor was saying, he was talking about how we are not having a conversation about general overall health in America. And if you were, if someone were to study, how can I make a virus that will particularly harm Americans? This virus is almost perfectly designed for us and our fat, lazy lifestyle. Yeah, because we're this, killing ourselves with a fork and the knife. Yeah, because what this doctor said, and he went through it, he was like, people who are going into the hospital have chronically low levels of vitamin D and high levels of inflammation. This is a direct result of the crap that we eat. And mm-hmm. he said what happens in India is, one, they don't have those high levels of inflammation because they don't their diet contains um, you know, foods that are uh, not necessarily high in gluten and that kind of thing. They don't eat red meat, which red meat is not bad for you, but they do eat things that are high in like turmeric and other things that get these, it gets right. this stuff called, um, I forget the name of it. It's like cosetin or something like that that helps to facilitate taking the D and the zinc into your bloodstream and into your body and blah, 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 into the line. These people are not inflamed 
and they're healthier. We're not even having that conversation in America. And let you can and let you can look at that country, which is some will say overpopulated, super crowded. I would have thought if they released a virus in India, everybody there is dead because it's so crowded. And yet they've had maybe a quarter of the problems that we've had. And you can look at diet and lifestyle and find, you know, maybe some issues there. Yeah, they're eating real food and not right. and I say real food meaning not highly processed food, right. cooking and so on. Whereas before this pandemic for years before the pandemic and before we crushed our restaurant industry, right. uh, which is its own conversation and just a, as an entrepreneurial person it, it breaks my heart to watch, but we had two thirds of meals were eaten out in this country. Wow. Yeah. Two thirds of meals and not generally at fine dining restaurants. Right. So people were I mean to agree with what you're saying, I mean, we were not healthy. The equivalent of the Surgeon General in France when th- this pandemic was breaking out around the world said this is going to be horrible for America because of their lifestyle. Yeah, yeah. And that is correct. It, yeah. is, it has been tougher. Yeah. He was – that doctor was talking about specifically – I don't know if you've heard of like long haulers, people that have these problems, mm-hmm. psychological and physical problems that manifest long after the virus has left their body. And to be honest, for a while, I kind of thought that's probably people's imagination, but it's actually real. And he explained how it's happening. When the virus runs rampant in our body, which it can do when we don't have adequate levels of vitamin D and zinc, it creates these, um, I forget what he called them, cytokines, I think they are, that literally cause inflammation. And it's originally, that's supposed to help. And at a certain point, it does help fight the virus. But when it gets out of control... These things ravage our body and they get into our brain and they cause inflammation in our brain, which causes things like depression and any number of other symptoms that come about. So so literally, again, going back to it, it's like this. We are uniquely suited to be victims of this virus in this country uh, because of the way we live our lives. Yeah, and fortunately, we are. We do have advantages. I mean, we've got those things working against us. I think right. from a positive standpoint, we're obviously a very uh, wealthy country. Yes. And we're going to get – we're in line in front of others to get this vaccine. Right. And not that that should allow us to – we shouldn't take advantage of that and continue in, in an unhealthy way. I think it's a great conversation to have. Yeah. We manage – part of what I do is uh, – as a consultant is manage large health plans and work with the – work with those large employers to figure out how do we control costs and it's a constant battle because we are working against a a population that is getting increasingly less healthy right which is driving up those costs and so on and so forth i want to revisit something you brought up earlier and kind of going back to the vaccine i apologize to jump all over the place but i just think this is this whole conversation is an important one for people to hear so let's go back to the people that are refusing the vaccine yeah yeah um i kind of have to give them the benefit of the doubt here because as as happy as i am at the marvel of science of being able to create a vaccine in less than a year which the mainstream media said was going to be impossible and if if trump was able to pull it off which he didn't do it american innovation did but he did what needed to be done in terms of getting the government out of the way so it could be done right then if trump did pull it off it would be uh, dangerous. Those same media now are tripping over themselves to get it on TV. That being said, this has never been done before. A, vi- a vaccine typically takes decades mm-hmm. and has to work its way through the system. 
there are scary stories around the country of unexplained situations that have happened following getting the vaccine. The second dose is apparently um, difficult for a lot of people. Um, there's, There's questions that still linger because it hasn't been deployed to the population at large for a long time. I kind of don't blame people who don't necessarily trust it just yet. And again, I'm not saying don't, don't take it. I, I've been more ambivalent on it. I'm glad it's there. I definitely think the more vulnerable who it's like, look, take the chance, take the virus. It's going to be better for you in the long run. But general population, I kind of understand people's reticence, don't you? Certainly. Uh, and, and when you look at history, the fastest we've ever gotten a vaccine to market was for months it was four years in the making right. that was the previous record and now we we basically accomplished it multiple vaccines in a, in a year's time and we've done and i think we're victims of our own highly politicized messaging there's right. really a, such a lack of truly scientifically based messaging throughout this whole experience that has confused everyone mm-hmm. wear a mask don't wear a mask wear right. a mask and so on and that's just an example of it now wear two masks <laughs> you, yeah now wear two and three might even be better and right. uh although I, I you do have to breathe so that's yeah. a problem but, but but you've got this messaging that's gone out clearly I, i'm i'm not attempting to be a political person right um and i'm, I'm not a highly political person but obviously politics played a role in the media has is certainly partly to blame for the situation we have now where yeah. even a majority of health professionals in some states are healthcare professionals are declining to take this. Yeah. What we needed to do was message, just give people the information. I mean, in this right. day and age, we all have it at our hands anyway. Right. And so you let's not add to the confusion. Let's just give people the facts. Yeah. And there are some facts to support why this was able to be done more quickly. Right. These first two that came to market are mRNA vaccines. It's a totally different technology than what we used to do to make a vaccine where we deadened or weakened some virus. We grew it in a chicken egg and we did all this stuff. That was a much slower process. Right. And so it, there's some logical explanation as to how this was able to be done more quickly. It's not all just miraculous. Right. Uh, it's quicker. In fact, the, and it's, it's a great story and it's inspiring when you look at the, the, the couple that own, that started BioNTech right. in Germany, the it's a husband and wife team that then partnered with Pfizer for the first vaccine that came to market. They had he had ten or eleven versions of the vaccine mapped out on his computer before wow. he was able to even see the virus or have a sample of the virus because of this new way of approaching it. And so, you know, it was a totally different ballgame from that standpoint. Right. And we need to message that better. Right. And not just tell people, oh, it's going to, you know, if Trump gets it through, you can't trust it. And then turn on a dime and say, hey, actually, everything's okay. Forget that, what we were saying there for the (laughs) last six months. I want it first. I want it first. I want it first. Yeah. (laughs) Now it's totally fine, everyone. Well, and And that didn't help. I think beyond anything, I think we need to get the elderly and those that are immunocompromised vaccinated as quickly as possible. Um, and we can sort the rest out later, but you know, right. amongst the rest of us, the, the, the survival slash recovery slash effects of the thing are really so minimal 
that it's almost shocking that we've done what we've done to our country. But let's get those. But for those few that are in those categories, that's devastating. And I know this because it's affected people in my family and uh, people in my friend circle, you know, and and in all cases, it was it involved people who had those pre determining factors that made it a much more difficult battle. So. Um, so, yeah. Um, so from your perspective as a healthcare industry expert who's worried or concerned or focused on supply lines and focused on costs and everything, if you had a chance to sit down with Joe Biden right now and he asked you, how can we get these 300 million people vaccinated by summer? What would you tell him? I would say that we need to be less granular about this and more uh and more practical prop up some centers use he i think he does have some good ideas anything that results in more the ability for us to get more needles in arms and get people vaccinated is is going to help this situation so let's stop i've got for example i have employer clients that are essential in California that are in the manufacturing industry and they're reaching out because there's so much confusion around who gets to get the vaccine when and how. Right. And, and it, it's so much more complicated than it needs to be. And then I have to explain to them, well, you're in this subgroup of this group, which is in line behind, um, homeless folks it's behind people that are incarcerated. It's behind this, behind that, behind that. And they're like, I thought I was essential. Well, you are, but there's about seven subgroups to that. Right. I mean, that's right. that's a lot to work through. We should, right. if if we're if the goal is to just get this knocked out as quickly as possible, every day that goes by, we're getting closer to herd immunity. The question is, are we going to get there more through vaccination or infection? Right. So let's get the job done. Prop up centers, as in as many places as you can. And he's got some ideas for that that I think will have some positive effect, like activating FEMA. Yeah. Setting up some temporary sites using the National Guard, right? Uh, well, but he's mixing that in with so many other things—one point nine trillion dollars worth—that will take some legislation and some time, and that's just a lot of time potentially wasted. Right. Well, his there is a sense of a lack of urgency. You know, there's a lot of talk about urgency, but people. I I posted on Twitter earlier today. I was like, um, if you want to lead, act. People will right. be far more inspired by your actions than your words. And so there's a lot of words about, you know, like you talked about, you know, the governor of New York. I'll go directly to the source and buy my own vaccines when he's not doing the job behind the scenes with the vaccines he has. Right. People right. see this. People see the miscommunication. They see the uh, conflicting statements then they they see that there is there is not necessarily there's a sense of urgency about wearing two masks. There's not a sense of urgency about doing some of those common sense things you just mentioned where we would set up these centers and get this done. You know, if hospitals are being overrun, remember the first round of this, they built a bunch of extra hospitals. Um, you know, didn't to, even put a single person in. Right. Them. Didn't put anybody <laughs> in. them. Then, then took them back down knowing there was going to be another wave. Right. History tells us that it's going to be winter. Yep. Took them back down and then complained the hospitals were overrun during the freaking holidays. So I, there, there's not really a sense of I don't want to say a sense of urgency. There does seem to be a sense of urgency, but it's more it's more akin to panic than sort of an organized. Let's do X, Y and Z in this order and let's do it fast. Right. Really, to be honest with you, 
not to be political, but the last president would have been better at that in terms of just letting people do their jobs and get it rolled out as opposed to this sort of weirdly deliberative process while people are dying. Yeah, we've one of the things I I love about being an American is that when times are tough, we pull together. I think back to 9-11 and it's it occurred to me as you were just sharing what you shared. I'm not really seeing that right now. Right. We need some strong leadership to say we're going to get we got to pull together and get this taken care of. Here's what we're going to do. Right. Don't don't. And I understand things are highly politicized today and, and there's a lot of division and all of that. There always is. Right. Put that aside. Come out, lead strongly. Don't in this 1.9 trillion, we've got 400 billion for vaccination programs slash school openings. Right. 20 billion when you drill down into it is actually for vaccines. Can we not just handle that on its own? Right, right. And handle that and say this is a big enough priority. We can set aside legislative uh, wrangling and political wrangling, and let's just get this job done. If all we need is 20 billion. Cut it out from the 1.9. Let's focus on that. Right. I don't think you would have any objection to, yeah. from any serious politician on either side yeah. to get that done. Prop up the centers. The supply chain is there. there right. You mentioned earlier about this, you know, kind of miss messaging that's going on. We've already purchased enough vaccines right. to get to herd immunity when you combine that number. We've got 150 million plus another 150 million from Pfizer two lots of 100 million with Moderna. So sure, we could buy some more vaccines, but is that the issue? No. Right. We've, it's not a matter of supply chain. Supply chain can do it. We have the vaccines available. And so it's really just, it's down to implementation now. Right, right. Let's get out there. Let's get it in people's arms. And another kind of detail of that or part of that, so far we've relied on hospitals largely to be this, the place where people would get vaccinated. Hospitals weren't intended to be vaccination centers. That's not what they do. Right, right. They are, uh, in fact, what have, how, do we have, how have we distributed the flu virus? Yeah. We're kind of getting back to what's practical versus impractical. Right. The flu virus, you go down to your local pharmacy or the national chain pharmacy and you get a flu vaccine. Yeah, grocery Why store. couldn't you go there and get your vaccine for this? Yeah. Um, you know, use the systems that are already working. Yeah. Yeah. It just it, it, it from a 30,000 foot view. None of this makes sense to me because we could have those cheap one dollar tests. People who are sick could self quarantine. Everyone else could go about their business. We could vaccinate while we're doing this. We could prop up those centers. Like you said, let's let's get the National Guard out there. Let's set up these centers. Let's start vaccinating people and and so on and so forth. But um yeah, we're not doing that. So fascinating stuff. Hey, um, listen, thanks for your time today, uh, Paul. I appreciate it. It's a fascinating conversation. I hope uh, that some people that have cooler, calmer, more intelligent heads actually sit down and start thinking through this because otherwise we're spending billions and billions and billions of taxpayer dollars. We're destroying businesses in the meantime when we could be just a few weeks away from reopening everything, you know. I totally agree. Yeah. It's time for some just some common sense, simple action. Right. All right. Have a good one. Thanks, bud. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Bye -bye. All right. Paul Paul Siegert, he's a healthcare expert. Fascinating conversation. I, I'm gonna tell you on the vaccine thing, I'm not an anti vaxxer. Um I don't currently plan to take it until I've seen it work its way through society a little bit more. That's me personally. I'm doing other things to prop up my immune system, and so far, knocking on wood, it's worked. I'm not under the false impression it's going to 
continue forever. I think we're all going to get it. Um, I, I may have had it and not known it. I don't know. Um, but th- the point is, I'm going to watch and see what happens here. I understand people who are somewhat reticent. I will not be for any kind of forcing you to take a vaccine. But if you're somebody who's in that category of people who are particularly vulnerable to this virus, then if it were me, I'd take it. And I would take it as soon as I can get it. I want my dad to get it as soon as he can get it. He's diabetic. He's almost 80. I want him to get the vaccine as soon as he can get it. You know, yes, because the risk, again, it's all about risk versus reward. As a relatively young, healthy person who's in good shape uh, and and eats well and does certain types of things to, to prop up my immune system, I am not in anywhere near as much of a risk as my father is. And so I want people who are in that risk category to get this vaccine because, again, risk versus reward, it's a payoff. It's a net payoff. So let's get them vaccinated. Same with healthcare workers. Beyond that, I think it's going to have to be up to each and every one of us what we decide we want to do. And um, so, again, but to the point of this conversation, it shouldn't be hard to do what needs to be done, as Paul pointed out, and yet here we go. And I honestly, there were a lot of things that Trump did that dropped the ball on this, but There is no question in my mind that if you give Democrats a project and tell them to do it efficiently, it will fall apart within minutes. And I think that's what we're seeing with the whole vaccine process. So anyway, there you go. All right. Hey, thanks for listening. I'm Leland Conway. Lots to come on the Disruption Zone. I appreciate our sponsor, Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. Um, These guys are awesome, and I highly encourage you to use them if you're thinking about redoing your kitchen. Um, We use them for our kitchen and master bath, and I'm confident that the work they did was one of the reasons our house sold in less than a day. They just did a fantastic job. Their work ethic is unparalleled. And they've got three friendly designers who would love to see your smile and face come into the store. 6200 Hit Lane, uh, Michelle, Kelly, and George would love to help you dry, d- design your dream kitchen. And I'm telling you, it changes a home so drastically. Now, uh, if you're a do-it-yourself or a contractor, they've got quality, beautiful cabinets, affordable in stock right now. So check out LouisvilleCabinetsAndCountertops.com. To find out more or call them at 502-930-3304 or just stop by the showroom. Big thanks to JP Web Design and Dynamics Audio Productions and to my co-executive producer, Cameron Mills. You can find us on Twitter at Leland Show and at greatly or at the dis, or at Zone Disruption. Some jackwagon took the disruption zone. So it's Zone Disruption on Twitter. On Instagram, it is at the Disruption Zone and at Greatly Londo. You can also download us for free on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and iHeartRadio. Please subscribe to the podcast and give us a great review on whichever of those platforms you're using. Please give us a five-star review on any of those platforms. It helps us. It promotes us. It gets us out there, and it uh, grows the audience. And share it with your friends. Thanks for listening. I am Leland Conway, The Disruption Zone.